How's everyone doing? Now, we don't get to do this very often, and I, I promised I won't be annoying about it, but how about them horns? There we go. Now, even, even Aggie fans, you can celebrate that we beat Alabama. Come on. Can we? I think this church has one Alabama fan. Is he here right now? What a fun day for Longhorn football. I'm a Longhorn fan. Just thought I'd take the opportunity. I have the microphone. It's great to see all of you. So, um, I don't really have a sermon today. I just, I really just want to talk with you about something that's really important. And really what I want to do is just help us all understand something and particularly like how it works. Um, I, don't, I don't really have some big call to action. I'm not really here to inspire as much as to inform, educate, make you aware of something. You guys up for it? Yes. So, like Landon mentioned, all year we've been working through an understanding of what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And here at Cibolo, we've decided we're going to talk about that in three different dimensions. That a disciple is somebody who spends time with Jesus. Time in God's word, time in prayer, honoring a Sabbath, learning to walk by faith, relating to Jesus as the resurrected Lord that he is. He's living and active in our life. We spent all summer talking about becoming like Jesus, looking at some um, distinguishing characteristics of who he was as a person. His compassion, his humility, his grace, his deep devotion to his father and an expression of holiness, his forgiveness, his, um, his life of faith. But now as we enter the fall, and it'll be here soon. I, it, I know it still feels like summer, but it, they say that there's actually going to be a turn in temperature here soon. Um, I want to I take a couple of months. This will really take us through Christmas. I want to talk about doing what Jesus did. Like living our lives in the way that he lived his. Which, which is our calling as Christians. To live as Jesus lived. Well, that topic in and of itself, in my mind, it creates all sorts of interesting questions. So in a discussion of doing what Jesus did, my first question is, well, what did Jesus do? I mean, seriously, is there any way to boil it down to some sort of, you know, manageable subset of things that we could look at? And it's interesting to me that if you take the record of the life of Jesus as we see it in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's maybe like six or seven things that we see that Jesus did consistently. Now, if we drilled down further, we could probably make it a dozen. But there's at least six or seven things that stand out as these are the things that Jesus did, and he did often. Then I want to know this question. Why? 
Why, why did he do the things that he did? Why not the other things? Why those six or seven things? Why, why were those so important? How? When? Where? How often did he do the things that he did? Of those six or seven things that he did, did he do them all the time? And what we see is there's patterns. There's some things that Jesus did every day. There's some things that Jesus seemed to do most consistently in the morning. There's some things that Jesus did occasionally. Like occasionally he would heal people and yet we see illustrations where he walked away from people who needed healing. So I'm curious about the how, the when, the where, how often Jesus did the things that he did because we might learn something about a rhythm and a pattern for our own life. What are those things that he did? What do they tell us about the heart of Jesus? Or his mind, the way that he thought? What do those things that Jesus did tell us about what it means to really be a disciple of Jesus? I mean, looking at the six or seven things that Jesus did very consistently... What do they teach us as people endeavoring to be his disciples? And is it possible, listen, is it possible that we as Christ followers, we can be doing a lot of things, but not necessarily doing the things that Jesus did? They may be good things. They may be religious things. They may, in our minds, be spiritual things. But if they weren't the things of Jesus, then are we really following Jesus? Does that make sense? And then this is, this is one of the great questions. What are those things that Jesus did? What, what do they tell us about what is most important in life? Because we know that Jesus lived to please his father in heaven. So we have to ask ourselves, am I doing those kinds of things? Or is my life so full of so many things, I don't really have time to do the most important things? My wife and I had an interesting conversation a couple days ago. Long story about how we got there. But I, um, I ended up saying to her, you know, so many Christians, we live in anticipation of standing before Jesus someday and hearing the words, well done, good and faithful steward. There's just one problem. Jesus is not a liar. And he doesn't operate by politically correct or socially correct. So he's not going to say to people, well done, good and faithful servant. If those people, in fact, didn't do a good job at being a faithful servant. So really looking at the life of Jesus, we might learn a lot about what is, in fact, not only the most important things, but the most eternal things, the things that last and count. 
So these are some of the questions we're going to tackle over the next couple of months. So this summer, we talked a lot about like Jesus's internal attributes, his character. This next several months, we're, we're going to look at more of what that character prompted by way of actions or habits in Jesus's life. So this study, what did Jesus do, is about the habits and activities that Jesus portrayed in his life. And again, working from the assumption that they were born out of a, a certain character of his heart and his mind and the kind of person that he was. Does that make sense? Because here, here's, what, here's a really important equation for life. The kind of people that we are, like truly are, our character, ultimately influences what we consider valuable or important. And what we consider valuable and important is what actually sets our priorities. We, we can say a lot of things are important to us, but not necessarily then live our life as a reflection of those priorities. So then are they really, in fact, the priorities that we claim them to be? So we see in the life of Jesus, he had a certain divine character that influenced what he thought was most important. Then those important uh, values in his life created Priorities that he, he would do this over that. And then what we see consistently is that he did these things that were priorities often. And then how that works is as we observe these habits of the life of Jesus, we start putting together a composite of who Jesus was and how Jesus was and what was important to him. Did you follow all that? So we're going to spend the next couple of weeks looking at um, what did Jesus do? And in the next two or three weeks, we're going, to, we're going to talk about like the nature of growth and the nature of change. Because before we can even get started doing what Jesus did, we have to understand a little bit about like where we fit into all of that. And what's actually possible? Because I know some of you hear me talk about, you know, becoming like Jesus. And you think, well, that's impossible. I'll, I'll never be able to be like that. He wouldn't have called you to become like him if he didn't think that he could do that through you. Did that make sense? So. There's a really fascinating verse in the book of Acts. There's probably a couple of them, but I'm just drawing your attention to one of them. Um, the book of Acts, for those of you who may be new to your Bible and your faith, um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the first gospels, the accounts of the life of Jesus. Then the book of Acts is basically a, a history of like the disciples of Jesus become the leaders of this thing called the church, this new entity. And it's, the book of Acts is a history of their acts it's actually called the acts of the apostles the things that the early leaders of the church were doing as the church sort of blossomed and in chapter 11 of the book of acts we read this the disciples were called christians first at antioch meaning it was many years 
before the disciples of Jesus were ever referred to as Christians. Um, we see in the Bible they were called disciples. Early uh, disciples of Jesus were called believers. Um, for a long time they were called the people of the way. Because the early disciples talked a lot about Jesus being the way. The way, the truth, and the life. So we're often referred to as the way. And a couple other names. And it wasn't until some events that happened in a city called Antioch that they became to be called Christians. The very first Christians were people whose lives so exemplified the virtue and behaviors of Jesus that the people around them, the people in the city, assigned them the nickname. Oh, those are the Christ ones. The disciples so distinguished themselves by doing what Jesus did and talking about why they did what Jesus did that these people, that they were their friends and neighbors, stepped back and said, well, you're just little Christ. We'll just call you Christians. Now, there's some discussion, some debate about whether that was actually a, a compliment or some sort of a derogatory term like, oh, you Christians, you Christ ones. And so it might have been mockery. It, it might have been a compliment. But either way, the association between the two was unmistakable. People clearly saw Jesus reflected in the life of early Christ followers. Nothing's changed. That's still our calling. Is that we as Christians would so embody the life of Jesus that the people you go to school with and the people that you work with and the people that you live next door to and the people that you call your extended family and the friends that you run around, they run around with, they, they should see Jesus in us that they'd go, oh, they're a Christ one. So evidently, they were doing what Jesus did in Antioch. You still with me? All right. So let's talk about how does that work? How, do, how, does, a, how does a group of people reflect Jesus? And um, I, want, I want to consider one angle of it uh, today. Next Sunday, I want to consider another angle of it. Um, Here's an important uh, lesson in life. Most every skill that we develop in life begins with imitation. I mean, think about it. The teacher says to the little kids, children, repeat after me, A, B, C. And the little kids, what do they do? They imitate. In fact, they imitate it exactly like the teacher says, A, B, C, and the kids go, A, B, C, exactly like they heard it for the first time. The teacher says, children, repeat after me, one, two, three. The teacher says, children, repeat after me, do, re, mi, and this is a basic foundational function of how we learn everything in life. Reading, writing, arithmetic, it's all essentially learned through imitation, at least initially. 
How do we learn to use utensils? A fork, a knife, a spoon. We learn from somebody else who's showing us how to do it. Uh, brushing our teeth, washing your hair, name it, driving a car, riding a bike, swimming, skateboarding, baseball, football, soccer, volleyball. It's all initially begun by imitating somebody. So it's not hard for me to imagine that maybe the the pursuit of learning to live like Jesus would involve a certain amount of imitation. Jenna Garvey writes this, imitation is a crucial aspect of skill development because it allows us to learn new things quickly and efficiently by watching those around us. Most children learn everything from gross motor movements to speech to interactive play skills. How? By watching parents and caregivers and siblings and peers perform these behaviors. So I'm thinking that it would be important to understand that in the journey of learning to do what Jesus did, some of it might involve imitation. And I'm using imitation in this way, repeating, copying, mimicking in the uh, positive sense of that word, mimicking what you see somebody else do. You ready? No, you ready? Watch this. I think this is cool. Ready? God loves it when he sees his children imitating his son, Jesus. I use the phrase from time to time, um, somebody makes my heart smile. I just, it's like, ah, oh, that's so, when, you, when God sees us imitating his son, Jesus, what son? Oh, his beloved son in whom he is well pleased. That son. When he sees us as his sons and daughters imitating Jesus, his heart smiles. Like, like for everybody who's imitating Jesus, God has their picture on his refrigerator. He's like, ah, you did, this is, I'm so proud of this one. So in the early stages of learning to follow Jesus, imitating the things that he did throughout his life is really critical. And that's, that's what we want to explore. It's, it's through this repetition of the important skills of Jesus that we learn how to become a reflection of him. That we truly embody the idea of what it means to be a Christian. Not a churchgoer. A true follower of Jesus Christ endeavoring to imitate Christ. So... Here's what I want you to understand. Um, I'm not just attaching some like contemporary psychological understanding of how we become to this Christian thing. This, this idea of imitation runs all through the Bible. I mean, when you truly understand um, the nature of how the Jews of the Old Testament educated their children for obedience to the law of Moses and uh, faith in God, it was largely built on the children learning from their parents how to imitate. 
When you think about first century disciples, young men who were invited to take a journey, uh, literally, of following a rabbi around for several years. And what was the basis of that arrangement with the rabbi and his disciples? It was to learn from the rabbi's life and imitate what he did. Imitations has been an integral part of the Christian faith for centuries. And we see it all through the Bible. Look at this. Ephesians chapter 5. Paul writes to the church, be imitators of God. As beloved children. You see the relationship? Children imitating their father. Walk in love like you see Christ walk in love. As Christ loved us and he gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Like, like Jesus did, I want you to imitate. 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says to the church, be imitators of me as I am an imitator of Christ. Philippians chapter 3, brothers, sisters, join in imitating me, the Apostle Paul writes. And, and keep your eye on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. Imitation. 1 John, whoever says he abides in Christ ought to walk, live in the same way in which he walked. That's imitation. 1 Peter for to this you've been called, because, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. That's imitation. First Corinthians, again, the Apostle Paul says, I urge you then, be imitators of me, as I'm an imitator of Christ. Paul writes to the church of Thessalonica, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. He writes to the church of Philippi, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, I want you to practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you in doing that. So if we hope to become like Jesus as his disciples... The earliest steps of following him will be imitating his habits until they become more a part of our own. Did you see how I got there? No sleight of hand, nothing fancy. Just pretty basic. Just want you to know that as we begin a journey of doing what Jesus did, some of it's just going to be about imitating but that's always been a part of the pattern for how a faith is passed on from one generation to the next. So this summer I, I turned, uh, turned 61. How did that happen? Um, in the last 10 years of my life, I've been working very specifically on some things about my own life. And I can honestly say to you, in the last 10 years, I've learned the single most important life lesson that I've ever learned. It has changed my life. 
when I turned 50, I, uh, I kind of went into this, what turned out to be a two-year time of personal reflection, trying to figure out, like, what's going on in my life? How does life work? What do I want to accomplish in life? Two years examining life, asking questions, making observations, doing research. And one of the things that I identified about me is that I had some insecurities that had way, way too much power in my life. That some of those insecurities had crippled me from really stepping out and doing some things I'd always wanted to do, but I was afraid to do them because I was afraid I'd fail. And so at about age 52, I made some decisions about setting some really big goals. Like things that would take me way outside of my comfort zone. Things that would take me 10 years to accomplish. And one of those goals, I set out to accomplish what's referred to as the hardest single day endurance event in the world. And over the next nine years, I gave myself to figuring out how to do that. Now, why that's so important is that I had a bad history. Because of my curiosity, I will try anything, do anything. I, I'm just curious about all kinds of stuff. But what I saw as a pattern in my life, I get started on a lot of things, and then somewhere along the way, I'd get, I'd get, you know, busy, or I'd get distracted, or I'd get, this happened a lot, discouraged. And so I'd just quit stuff. Oh, I would never call it quitting. I'm not a quitter. I would just say, I'll get back to it some other day. And then it's eight years and I haven't been back to it. And I had to be honest to that. So I set this goal. Hardest single day endurance event on the planet. And for nine years, gave myself to it. And in fact, it was this weekend, two years ago, that I accomplished my goal. Now... It's not about that. It's about what I learned. I learned that, you ready? You can do just about anything that you want to do if you honor a couple of principles. For nine years, I honored these principles and I saw them work. And what happened is I stepped back and go, these would work in all sorts of arenas of my life. And here's, here's, here's the principles. You can do just about anything you want to do if you begin with soaking up as much information as you possibly can about that particular pursuit. You've got to become a sponge. You've got to read books. You've got to talk to people. There's an entire education waiting for you. It's called YouTube. I mean, you can learn anything that you want to do. You got to soak up, but you want to, you need to want to understand how the thing works. I needed to understand how swimming works, how biking works, how running works, how nutrition works, how hydration works. I, I needed to learn how my mind works and my body. I needed to soak up and, and I'm a sponge. I'm so curious. I loved that part of it. Second thing, you can do anything in your life if you'll ask for help from others, particularly those who are better at something than you are. Find the people who are good at what you want to be and go hang out with them. 
talk to them, ask them questions. Be humble enough to receive whatever they might have to tell you. When I first started getting into sculpting, one of the thing, wisest things I did is I called three area sculptors and I said, I'm new to this. Could, could I come and see your studio? Could I come and just ask you some questions? And the beautiful thing about oftentimes people who are really good at something, they love to share what they know. And I went to see these artists and they showed me around their studio and they showed me some of their habits and they showed me some of their tools. In fact, they gave me some of their tools so that I could get started. So ask for help from others. This one's big. This one's huge. You got to learn from your mistakes and your failures. For far too often in my insecurities, when I made mistakes or failures, I just threw up my hands and I quit. But on my journey of this reaching this goal, I had to make a lot of mistakes. And for somebody who hates running, I, made a, I had a lot of failures. But I determined I wasn't going to give up. I had a mantra. I will not quit until I've reached my goal. You are going to make mistakes when you're new to something. You're going to make lots of mistakes. But if you'll keep learning from others and you'll keep soaking up information and if you'll keep diligently trying again and then you got to stick to it no matter what. Especially if your goal's big and hard. You got to stick with it. I can't tell you how many times in nine years I wanted to quit. Imagine training to run in a summer of Texas. It's awful. You got to stick with it. You got to keep going. Okay, why did I tell you that? Because I believe the same is true about learning to follow Jesus. Learning to follow Jesus, learning to do what Jesus did, I'd encourage you soak up as much information as you can. Learn about what Jesus was like and what he did and how he did it. And, and I'll be here every Sunday for the next four months talking with you about stuff like that. I ask you to join me. Then ask for help. Like find some other people who are on the journey of following Jesus and say, hey, can I tag along? Maybe that's a life group. Maybe that's a Bible study. Maybe that's just a group of men or women that get together for coffee or lunch or, you know, dinner. And, and we just talk about our faith. But ask, for, ask some other people for some help. And I'll just tell you, I've been at it a long time. I still make awful choices. And some of them aren't even mistakes. I do it deliberately. And I'm going to fail, and I have failed, and I continue to fail. But God understands that. He knows the nature of what it is to be human. But here's the deal. Stick with it, no matter what. It's worth it. And here's what happened is I started out, I had no experience doing what I had set out to do. I just kept learning and I kept asking people and I kept failing and making mistakes and I kept sticking with it. And then pretty soon I was like, I did it. 
The same with following Jesus, especially when it comes to imitation, is sometimes I won't get it right. But if I'll stick with it, pretty soon I'll look back and go, I'm a lot more like Jesus asked me to be than I was a year ago, two years ago, 10 years ago. Where you should get concerned is that 10 years from the departure date, you haven't made any progress. So this is about being imitators of God as we see revealed in Jesus. And, and here's, here's uh, a couple of the things that we're going to look at. And it'll take us a couple weeks to plow through them. And I'm going to add a couple along the way. But looking at the life of Jesus. You guys still with me? Looking at the life of Jesus. Here's the five or six things that I go. Well, you, you can't read the life of Jesus without seeing this all over it. He, he served people in need. He talked a lot about being a servant to others. It seems like a really important priority in his life that when he met or encountered people in need, he moved to help them. That's what he did. Secondly, um, he, he shared the truth of God with other people. He talked about the kingdom of God, and he talked about eternal life. He talked about heaven, and he talked about hell, and he talked about having a relationship with God by faith. And he, he talked about the gospel, and, and he, he, he wanted people to understand God's truth. Um. We see as a practice that he connected with family. And I put family in quotation marks because for Jesus, family was bigger than just blood relatives. Anytime he found somebody else who was committed to living by faith and following his path, he thought of them as his family. I mean, remember that interesting encounter where Jesus is hanging out with some people and his mother and a, a couple of his brothers show up and somebody comes in. Hey, Jesus, your mom and your brothers are here. They want to talk with you. And he's like, who are my mother and brothers? He's like, these are my mothers and my brothers. This is my family. So we might have something to learn about what it is to be surrounded by family. Um, we see Jesus... It, this is an avid commitment of his life. That's why he called 12 disciples. He, he mentored others in the journey of faith. He saw it as a way to spend his time and his energy. Is to invest in at least one other person. Some Christians never get that. They think it's all about themselves. And we see Jesus making all sorts of sacrifices for the good of others. Th those are just a couple of them. Of, of where, where we're headed in the next couple of months. And I'll just tell you. I'll just tell you. None of us, the preacher included. None of us are going to get this right all the time. None of us are going to be able to do this immediately. And none of us are going to do this perfectly. But we can learn a lot. We can get some help. We can make the mistakes. But we can stick with it. 
and see these kinds of things become a much better reflection of Jesus in our life. It, it takes time. It takes practice. It takes persistence for any new skill to become a part of one's life. Why would we think that following Jesus would be any different? Does that make sense? So here's what I say to you. Let the journey begin. What, what, what if we, as a church family, just sort of planted our feet and said, for the next several months, I'm, I'm going to learn everything I can about doing what Jesus did. I'm going to open my heart big and wide. I'm going to open my mind and maybe learn some things I'd never understood before or I was resistant to before. I'm just going to, I'm going to be a sponge. I'm going to learn more about what it means to do what Jesus did. And what happens when I make mistakes or I don't get it right? How do I navigate my way through those obstacles? And how do I stick with it when everything inside of me wants to quit? Or it seems like life is so heavy that I, I don't think I can go any further. Those are things we can learn. You with me? Four of you. Okay, great. I'll try again next week. So... I don't know if there's a more fitting way to sort of embark on the journey of becoming more like Jesus and doing what he did than observing communion together. So underneath your chair, you will find the elements that you need for communion. Listen to this verse. Romans chapter 8. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. A couple of things. One, not everybody is in Christ Jesus. The only way that we can be in Christ Jesus, and the, the, the image there is that we're enveloped in all that he provides. The, the only way that the Bible describes that a person becomes in Christ Jesus is by placing their faith in Christ. So, the person who refuses to place their faith in Christ, they're not in Christ Jesus. So the rest of the verse would say, they live condemned. They live condemned for their sin before a holy and righteous God. But through faith in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, I, I come in Christ, and now Paul tells the church, there's no more condemnation. Don't even worry about it. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says, no, now in Christ Jesus we stand. 
planted firmly in grace. This, with no condemnation, just grace. So what does that mean? Well, now as I embark on a journey of following Jesus and I don't always get it right and I make lousy choices or I'm just not strong enough to resist the thing that's so tempting to me, but I'm on the journey of becoming more like Jesus and doing what Jesus did and sometimes I fail. But I'm in Christ. So I'm not condemned. No, I have the sure footing of grace. I have peace with God, Romans tells us. Because I'm in Christ. So today for communion, as we think about embarking on following Jesus better, knowing that we won't always get it right, let's, let's begin with celebrating that we, we won't be condemned. That's, that's all in the past for us. Now we stand in grace and we have peace with God. And whatever failures, whatever mistakes, whatever lousy choices we make along the way, it's, it's covered because, because of what communion represents. A cracker. There's no magic in it. You, you could eat a box of these and not be any different. This is a symbol. It was intended to be a reminder. Oh, Jesus died for me. His body went to the cross to pay for my sin. So the scriptures invite us, as often as you eat this bread, remember, there's now no more condemnation to those who live in Christ Jesus. As often as you eat this bread, do this in remembrance of Jesus. the cup again no magic it's a reminder that Jesus emptied himself of his life for you and for me that the penalty of our sin was paid for because Jesus did this As often as you drink this cup, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, Jesus. Because of what I did on the cross, there's now no more condemnation to those who are in Christ. As often as you drink this cup, do this in remembrance of Jesus. What do you say, team? You ready to go on this journey? All right. I'll see you back here next Sunday, 930 sharp.
I'm going to ask you to stand together. Oh, um, I, for I forgot to mention at the front. Some of you were here last week. You know, we had a medical episode happening during the service. Some of you have been um, concerned and wanted to know. Uh, the gentleman's fine. Um, I had just visited in the hospital that week. He had had a, an extensive surgery. I was probably just pushing things a little early because he couldn't wait to get back to you. <laughs> but he's fine. He went home that afternoon after paramedics had uh, tended to him. And thank you to all of you who were around and helped. Thank you to our guest services team, our safety services team for responding so well. And, um, but Carl's doing great. Let's pray together. Father, I think this is what you want. Just people trying their very best to learn and become and grow and change with the help that you give us on a journey of becoming a better reflection of your son, Jesus, because nobody brings you more pleasure than your son. So we just open our lives and make ourselves available to whatever you might want to teach us and show us and however you might want to change us as we go on this journey of doing what Jesus did. Thank you for this day, this time together. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, everybody, have a great week.